This week's episode of The Presser is with World Rugby's Director of Women's Rugby, Sally Horrocks, who is chatting to us all about the new competition, the WXV, that is currently happening in New Zealand. It's a new format for women's rugby and they've tried to set it up so that the players can get more opportunities to play at the top level and the fans can have more opportunity to watch their favourite players, which I think is an incredible initiative. We have some great discussions around the importance of investment in women's rugby and women's sport more broadly, and also the importance of visibility. I absolutely loved this chat with Sally. I hope you enjoy it. Sally, welcome to the Female Athlete Project. You were just telling me off air that you're feeling a little bit jet lagged. Can you tell us about what your recent travels have involved? Yeah, sure. Hi, Chloe, and thanks for having me. Um, So I've just arrived in New Zealand, in Auckland, yesterday for WXV for the final week of the tournament. So yeah, it's a 24-hour, 26-hour flight, I think. And I've spent the last five weeks in uh, France at the Rugby World Cup, um, watching some great games of rugby, but also, you know, there's a lot of decisions made around the boardroom tables in France. And I wanted to make sure that the women's game was properly represented there. So I've hot-footed it from Paris to Auckland. Yeah, amazing. And and before we get into WXV and the women's side of the game, what was the experience like at the Rugby World Cup in France? It was a pretty tense final between South Africa and New Zealand. What was it like being there? Oh, it was it was an incredible experience. I mean, I managed to travel around the country. So just putting the final to one side, just France as a rugby loving country. You know, going to the south and the southwest of France to Marseille and Bordeaux. Just incredible. They they live, sleep, eat, breathe rugby, and the uh, and the wine and the cheese was pretty nice as well. But no, y- y- the quality of the rugby though, when you got to those final knockout games, was out of this world and so tense, so so tense. I'm not sure how those lads could actually enjoy it. I said, "Do you think they enjoy this?" I thought, "God, it was so 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 tight. It was amazing to watch." So you've landed over in New Zealand, and before we get into this WXV, the new format. Tell us about that Women's Rugby World Cup that was hosted in New Zealand that really was able to shift a lot of perceptions, particularly in New Zealand, which is, has always been a rugby country. It's part of the religion over there, but more because of the All Blacks, because of the men's side. What was the significance of an event like that in being able to introduce a lot of new people to, to rugby and to women's rugby, but to be able to shift some of those perceptions? Yeah, you're spot on about the perception piece in New Zealand, but I think also globally. Um, But you saw it really sort of pinpointed in New Zealand because they are, as you say, a rugby-loving country. But it was almost like they woke up afresh to the women's game um, and the audience was was different. The audience, you know, we had the diehard rugby fans, but we also had the families and we had the kids and we had – you know, we had the sport and we had the entertainment and, and having sort of watched rugby myself in New Zealand over the years, I spent a lot of time over, over here. You know, there's quite a purist attitude to the sport, which I love, by the way. You know, I love that hardcore, you know, rugby fan. But you just saw that broaden, the appeal of the game broaden and the quality of the rugby, you know, the women playing, the athletes on the pitch, the quality of that final, you know, and the, and the semis that, that came through. Over those couple of days, those couple of weeks, 
It was phenomenal. For me, it was one of the very, very best games of rugby I had ever seen, that final, male or female, no, no matter what. And I think that was, that was the case for a lot of people. So you saw this broadening of appeal and an understanding that the women really can play at the top level and the personalities of the players came through hugely. So those were, you know, those were my main takeaways. Um, and those personalities, and, you know, Ruby Tui was the story of the tournament, wasn't she, in terms of her larger-than-life personality. That has stayed with the game, you know, so she's just come back in from the USA where she's been playing in the PR7s, landed at the airport, lots of buzz, lots of paparazzi, and now she's here to play WXV. So you can see that momentum, that storytelling building in the women's game, which I think is is really important for it to grow. What's the translation then from an event like that in terms of the strategy at, at world rugby level to continue that momentum and continue to give the players opportunity to play, but also the fans exposure to be able to watch their favorite players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, again, you're absolutely right. It's about, for us, it's about providing these amazing women with more opportunity to play um, the right level of competition with the right frequency because you get a World Cup, it's a standout moment for the game and all that's great about it, but it only comes around every four years. And women's rugby is at a relatively, women's 15s rugby, a relatively early stage of its development. So trying to get the right matchups for these teams, um, and WXV has got 18 teams playing it from all over the world, they're just not getting that right level of matchup regularly enough. So it was a it was a big call by World Rugby to invest, you know, over 10 million sterling in this competition for the next couple of years for this year and next year, 2024, as we build into the expanded World Cup in 2025 in England. So there will take 16 teams to that World Cup. And this competition is that qualification pathway through to that World Cup. But it, it, we're also funding and supporting all these 18 unions with their warm-ups, with their travel, you know, with, with the budgets and the investment around it, with their staff structures, with their coaching support. So we're really trying to do our best to wrap our arms around the great work they're doing already to lift the game as much as we can over these two years running into 25. What do you carry on from that leading into, from the success of 2021, 2022 World Cup heading mm-hmm. into 2025 and what a lot of our audience and me and Bez in particular are most excited about the 2029 Women's Rugby World Cup in Australia? Yeah, no, it's, it's all part of a, of a 10-year plan for the sport, if you like, because it's important that we build this, that we create the right platform and the right foundations. So 21-22 will build to 25 through WXV, but we now have the first global calendar for the women's game that we, we just approved when we were in Paris. So that's a big deal. And it may sound a bit academic, but what it does, it allows us to build the pathway, as you say, to 2029. So, you know, if you're thinking, if you're, if you're a massive rugby sort of nut, you're thinking then about where you place the Pac-4, the Pacific 4 series, and how we build that so it's a real cornerstone for the game. You're thinking about the pathway to professionalism for the athletes, for the players, so that they're getting well supported on this journey. Um, And then the flip side to that for me, or the complementary side, is what we do with our fans. 
and how we build this visibility in the game through all these competitions. You know, we've, we've launched a streaming platform at World Rugby called Rugby Pass. So WXV is being seen in over 130 countries all over the world. So this build right through to 29, if we can get the visibility out there and the reach and this pathway to professionalism for the athletes, we should be raising the standards year on year. And by the time we get to 29, I mean, it's incredible. I'm thinking beyond 29 as well, right through to America in 2033. But I think in women's sport, and I know a lot of your conversations, you know, cross, cross sport, not one of the things that holds women's sport back is they don't have that clarity of narrative and pathway. I've worked in football before and in soccer, and it was a real issue for us with FIFA and UEFA and federations around the world. You couldn't secure the right level of investment often because you couldn't plan that far enough in advance. And football has made great strides over the last decade. But for us in rugby, we're trying to get ahead of that. If we can get that, that real clarity of where we're going and then we can action plan behind it and we can get the right investment behind it, which is super important for Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And we're really big on discussing investment in women's sport and obviously that visibility piece that you touched on. For us, the FIFA Women's World Cup on home soil earlier this year was just mind-blowing, but I think was an incredible representation of the commercial viability of women's sport. How do you see that translating into women's rugby? Yeah, I was fortunate. I was in Sydney. I came over for um, the World Cup. I'd worked previously with FIFA and other soccer bodies, so I was invited to come along and be part of their symposium. So I saw it firsthand. And you just, you just see how an event like that can just ignite a nation um, when, you, when you engage with the audience in the right way. And it is, I think, this combination of sport and entertainment that works. But the planning that's involved in that doesn't just happen by accident. So, you know, I was talking with the international bodies and the government, you know, and um, you know, and, and Soccer Australia about the work they did before the event, the build into it, you know, and the building of the personalities and the profiles, and then the actual event itself, and then the legacy afterwards. And you saw the 200 million that came through the government, and we, we met and we talked about that as well when we were in town. So you can see that with the right approach, um, and it does require that level of attention to detail i think it's really it's got to be really intentional i think great things can come around as a result of these massive showcase events but it doesn't just happen by accident and i suppose that that's what i'm driving at with things like the global calendar work and the partnership that we have with rugby australia and the work we'll do with the state governments as well when we're in town and the work we're doing in in england at the moment because if you get that right and you can build the visibility going into the tournament, then the rugby will speak for itself. You know, when we're there, the rugby will do the job for us. But we have to put in place all of that, all of that work around the event itself. Um, so that the, I suppose when you, when you come out the other end of the, at the other side of the event, you want the girls to play. You want, you want the girls to know where they can go, where they can play, how they can access the sport. And I speak here as a mother of four kids and three daughters. 
you know, for me, it's just as much about, you know, the impact then that sport has on their self-confidence, on their health, on their education, on their employability, on, on where they where they move on in their lives. So that's the sort of impact that major events can have if you're really smart and thoughtful about the way that you, um, you know, you, you use them and you work with them. So, I mean, that, that's a subject close to my heart. I love rugby. I love sport. But it's just as much about the impact that we can create for young people everywhere. And the World Cup in uh, Australia was phenomenal for that. Um, so we just need to put the right team. We've got some brilliant people, but we need to be really thoughtful about the way we approach, approach that in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on the fact that you're planning all the way ahead to 2033, I think you said. <laughs> What's your best case scenario? What's kind of the dream for what women's rugby could look like by 2033? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, well, if, if we could take rugby to being a mainstream sport in America, I mean, just think about the global accessibility of the game that we would have delivered I mean, that, that's a tall ask by 2033. 2033 is the moment when you gain, you could ignite that opportunity in the States. But if we're talking about the States for a moment, you've also got LA Olympics in 2028. Um, I mean, I know you've played the game. You've, you've played the game in the sevens format. So for me, my responsibility is to grow the sevens game and the fifteens game. It's not just to build one part of the game. And that gives choice to you know, to athletes as well. So ideally, 2028 does a great job. 29 in Australia builds the profile further. And then we ignite a mass audience in the States because World Rugby's role is to make this game as relevant and accessible globally. And it would be great to have new, new countries involved. So we're not, it's not the traditional countries that have always played men's rugby. You know, you want an open pathway and an open game. So that's, that's what I would love. And going back to your fan question earlier, you know, if you look at investment, women's sport investment and sports entertainment investment, the US market is the largest in the world. So it's not all about the USA, but the pivot that we would, you know, and the strength that we would get through taking our sport into that North American market and into Canada as well, it could unlock a whole additional level of not just participation, but investment in the sport. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. Um, Sally, thank you so much for your time today. I, as obviously a, a rugby player and fan myself, I've really loved hearing your insights. And, and I think more broadly, as you touched on these key themes that, that are woven throughout women's sport as a whole around visibility and investment, it's just so incredibly important. Um, and I love, I love the WXV. I, I loved seeing my Wallaroos <laughs> friends get the win over France as well. It was absolutely incredible. So thank you so much yeah. again for your time. No, it's an absolute pleasure. But yeah, it's been great talking to you, Chloe. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you got something out of this episode, I would absolutely love it if you could send it on to one person who you think might enjoy it. Otherwise, subscribe, give us a review and make sure you follow us on Instagram at The Female Athlete Project to stay up to date with podcast episodes, merch drops and of course, news and stories about epic female athletes.